0: i'm Christian Schiller. Welcome to my podcast. An enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Welcome everybody it's been far too long. There are reasons for that, some of which may be apparent i'm not completely sure uh, so well. Why has it taken me a while to get to a new episode Firstly December I was all month in Australia And um, I took actually a microphone with me But um, I don't know (laughs) I just sort of got into the mindset Of doing different things To be honest with you And uh, just never ended up recording anything Despite having a lot of things I wanted to cover And then (laughs) The sort of final spanner in the works As it were Well This won't really notice to the podcast listeners, but it will notice to anyone who is listening to the newsletter, who also reads the newsletter. I have for some time been using a service I really like called Review, which was once independent and then was acquired by Twitter. And then uh, Twitter, in the modern way of the company, are shutting it down in about a week. So I had to find a new place for the newsletter. And I ended up going to, I'm I'm still yet to really actually write the first issue, I'll be doing it sort of as we speak, literally, with Substack, um, because it just seemed to be what everyone is using, and it was the one that was least just trying to tell me about how to market my brand and things, and just get on with writing, which is what I wanted to do. And whilst I was doing that, I noticed that um, Substack also hosts podcasts. So I migrated my podcast from Anchor, which is what I was using, which is owned by Spotify over to Substack. So the feed is coming from there now. If anyone has ever migrated a podcast before, it's usually pretty quick, but it can take a few days to transfer into all of the the feeds on whatever players people are listening to. So I also wanted to leave kind of a good interval of time before I released a new episode to get lost in the ether, as it were. But now I'm back, I'm gonna get back into the swing of things. I'm talking to you on a slightly new configuration of my setup, which I will document soon, but it's, it's quite good. I'm trying to get the microphone placement correct. The placement is quite good right now, but I still need to get the, the sound quality better, etc., etc. But enough of that, I've got quite a lot to cover. Let's start with some links and I'll interweave that with a little bit of what I have been up to. So, I've been working on a new show with my friend Killian called In Bots We Trust, where we are going to look at all of these new weird and wonderful generative AI tools. So, I've been looking around this field quite a lot. One I haven't actually really spent much time on is ChatGPT. That sort of happened in a blink of an eye and I kind of missed it, but widely reported. I'm looking at uh, ZDNet here from Liam Tung and also Bloomberg by Dina Bass. Microsoft is considering a very large stake in in OpenAI, sorry, 10 billion. They don't actually just make ChatGPT, they make all sorts of things. Um, The interesting thing there is, uh, I thought OpenAI was a nonprofit, but uh, it's a capped profit. Um, But sort of get the impression that maybe they'll be flexible. And this isn't the only time Microsoft actually already has invested one billion in um, July 2019, giving them sort of preferred service, as it were, in their Azure technologies. And then, um, if they had this new funding injection, Microsoft would get seventy-five percent of OpenAI's profits until it recouped its investment. The interesting thing is that uh, a lot of these generative AI services at the moment are not really making any money, they're actually burning a lot of money because the cost of running them are quite high. Uh, And also lots of things are not that reliable right now that'll come, the reason why we wanted to start this new show is because things are very much moving quickly. Um, And almost it's taken a bit of time for me to edit this episode together and it's almost out of date already, which is kind of wonderful in itself. But anyway, look out for that. We're using the first few installments of that episode or that series, sorry, to actually use these tools to create the bits we need for a a podcast. So in the first episode, we used uh, Mid Journey, Stable Diffusion crayon, etc., to try and generate the thumbnails. And next episode, we're going to try and generate some music, that kind of thing. So Microsoft pushing in on the action there uh, for their cloud services. And I think uh, other cloud providers are getting a bit spooked by that as well. Somewhat related MIT technology review, Will Douglas heaven. Generative AI is changing everything, but what's left when the hype is gone? And... You see this quite quickly, actually. A lot of people are wowed by these services and then they jump on and they realise they have the limitations. They're not as good as you think they're going to be. I sometimes wonder if uh, a lot of people kind of do this as wishful thinking in some respects. (laughs) um, You don't want them to be as as good as they appear, so you kind of downplay how good they are when most people actually don't care. This tends to especially be journalists and creatives, obviously. Um, And... How many people keep using them, I suppose, is is one of the things that's talked about a lot as well. And um, people are discovering how to create very, very quickly. And I've been trying this as well. I'm actually working on, see, I told you I'd weave in what I've been working on into all this. Um, audio versions of some of the short stories I've written over the past year. And I was thinking I wanted to make artwork for each one as well. And... A bit of me would like to draw it all, but that would take some time. So I think I may use this technique of uh, prompt engineering and, and the ideas behind it to generate the images for myself and, and see where we go uh, and learn along that process at the same time, actually. This article, it's interesting, actually, because this article says when the hype's gone, but it actually shows a lot of very interesting examples of how people are using it tattoo studios Uh, generating ideas to then take into further prototyping, that kind of thing. But ironically, the title is somewhat a um, (laughs) misnomer. It doesn't really talk about what will happen when the hype's gone. I think maybe the last few words are really what will happen, it always happens with many of these things. Altman, uh, I can't have to go back up and remind myself who Altman was someone they've interviewed in a few places. But anyway, Altman says, I think that's the legacy. Images, videos, audio, eventually everything will be generated. I think it's just going to seep everywhere. And this is often what really happens with technology. And the technologies that fail to do this are the ones that kind of fail. I think we could argue that blockchain is an example of this. It hasn't seeped everywhere despite its promises. It's basically just still kind of messing around on the edges. Um, whereas lots of other technologies, you know, cloud native, most people wouldn't even notice that. And I think it's going to be similar with all of these. People will use them in their creative pipelines and most uh, consumers will be none the wiser when that does happen. Continue along the theme, this is something from uh, Mark W. Schaefer on Medium. Um, Curiously by Scott Skalkoft. So I'm not quite sure what the publication. Anyway, 20 entertaining uses of chat, GPT, you never thought were possible. I really got to actually experiment with it. I don't know, I haven't yet. Writing a novel. This is really one that I thought about ages ago and kind of gave up because the technology wasn't ready by then. Creating games, uh, dating help, dealing with loneliness and anxiety, naming things, translation on the go, fitness, coding, I think we know that, lesson plans. And actually, one of the ones that uh, Killian mentioned to me was finding podcast guests, (laughs) handling reviews and um, I think prepping for interviews. This is the one he actually mentioned trying to pre-generate a script, basically. I think these are fascinating. I'm really going to try quite a few of these, actually, I reckon. uh, again, as as inspiration for for what you're working on. Enough of that. Let's get back to some more traditional technology, and we're definitely going to go down that path. The first one is from Dougal Duggle J. Um, that's the name. Why is Rosetta 2 fast? This uh, Rosetta Rosetta Two is the translation layer between ARM and Intel code on Numax. I am old enough to remember Rosetta One. It was pretty good by the by the by the standards of the day. And Rosetta 2 is also very good. And this goes into some amazing technical detail if you understand it. <laughs> didn't really fully understand it myself, but still the fact it's there is wonderful of why Dougal thinks this is the case. Obviously, most of it isn't provable um, because Apple is not very open about these things, but you can have a read and see what you think. And um, it's interesting actually on the subject of Rosetta, this transition actually worries me slightly. There's, when Rosetta One was around, you know, basically the only options were native code, really, and websites, and oh, Java, Java, and probably some others. But you get my point. Those were the main kind of things that were open to you, and cross-platform options were limited. So this meant that, despite some things getting lost along the way, and maybe the length of time they took, and that kind of thing, when and Max transitioned from PowerPC to Intel, which was actually a more dominant platform in some respects. So there's everything to gain. There was more incentive for people to to come along for the ride uh, and and switch and not rely on that transition layer forever because it will eventually be gone. But what I worry about actually with the current. Rosetta is a lot of applications now using frameworks like Electron and things like that. And they just work. And um, they don't really spend much time thinking about that glue layer. The people who make these cross-platform applications that are really just web technologies or something else wrapped in a compatibility layer, and the compatibility layer is largely ignored. And that's what worries me here actually with this Rosetta transition, is that a lot of applications may end up getting completely wiped out once Rosetta has gone, because there's no motivation from a lot of these uh, providers, these manufacturers, to actually do anything about it. We'll see. I don't know. <laughs> that actually has been on the back of my mind as a slight concern, but it may be uh, unfounded. We will see in the future, I guess, whenever that may be. Next, this is from Susana Ferreira? Fer- Ferreira on Wired. Welcome to Digital Nomad Land. This is specifically on uh, Ponta do, do Sol, um, I think in uh, Portugal, in Madeira, yeah, coast of Madeira. Talking, and this is not an unfamiliar story, you see this quite a lot, these kind of entrepreneurs who start these entrepreneurial residences saying that it'll bring money to a local area and bring back to the community, etc., etc. And you see this even on a smaller scale in co-working spaces, community, community, community. And it all ends up really being is people just hanging out in their tribes on their laptops, sort of uh, demanding things, but doing very little with the local community. And this is kind of what's happened. Um, that uh, the the local area gave a lot of compensations to help them bring this in because they thought it would be beneficial. And it has brought money in, in some ways, but little, little else. Uh, so... The writer says they visited in February last year, so nearly a year ago. It was a year old. Um, this is probably a bad time to have been running this. That might have had some effect on things. Two hundred international remote workers were staying in the rentals, and at least a thousand more in the area. So actually, twelve hundred people. It's quite a lot, to be honest with you. And already exhausting so much of the local supply of accommodation. This has an impact on the local area, but to the negative, of course. And a lot of people will benefit from this, but a lot of people get penalized by it as well. And one thing that's also mentioned here is the the, uh, the writer mentions a lunch they went to and some locals joined them. And the organizer says, and it surprised a lot of people, to this is the first time locals have done this. So in over a year, uh, I mean, that's a factor that shows there wasn't really much outreach or maybe there's outreach that fell onto his, you do sometimes wonder that with many of these things it takes people a bit of time actually to feel like they want to engage to feel comfortable etc etc so whilst that's a shocking statement there are some caveats to it i wonder and another thing that jumped out of me that i notice in a lot of my communities is this kind of endless uh flood of messages on their community uh, slack asking questions asking the same questions over and over again but getting very little responses I think this is something I've always noticed in these communities that um, there's a lot of broadcast, but not always a lot of interaction back. Um, and people just kind of ignore things a lot and are sort of in their own little, little tribes. Uh, but this is it on a, on a grand scale, I suppose. The article doesn't really propose any solutions to the problem, of course, uh, but it's an interesting read. And I'd love to hear your thoughts if you want to let me know, you can uh, contact me at christenchiller.com. I am overhauling that website. It's very nearly done. <laughs> it's one thing I've been spending a lot of time on. Uh, and I have to integrate it with this whole uh, Substack stack uh, malarkey as well. But um, tell me what you think. Do you think this kind of co-working, co-living, digital nomad thing, is it a bit... What do you think about it? Is it a bit selfish? Does it do much for the communities it uh, takes over? Yeah, tell me what you think. I have a kind of mixed opinions, I think, personally. Next, uh, from beginning of December, I told you I've been sitting on some of these for a while. Liam Tunn again on ZDNet. Um, The 1980s programming language sparked a revolution. Now you can check out the source code. Postscript, (laughs) still with us in elements of PDF and you still see it as export options on many tools. Postscript and the Adobe Type Library revolutionised printing and publishing in the 80s. And now the source code is, um, is out there. It's, uh, it's available to, to look at. I'm not quite sure what you're going to be able to do with it uh, exactly. I would imagine lots of people kind of had their own suspicions of it anyway, maybe. But it's, it's out there. And if you're wondering where you can find it, it's over on the Computer History Museum website Uh, long before a lot of uh, sort of version control systems we know now. So it's up there. doesn't mean I think you can contribute to it, but you can take a look. I wonder and doubt if they're still using exactly the same version, but still it's interesting for posterity. Okay. I'm now going to transition into my nerd geekery section. Um, And the first one is from Keith Stewart in the Guardian. Talking about Dungeons & Dragons, the writer's first time as a dungeon master, why can't anyone make a decision? (laughs) I've I've noticed this a lot when I have games as well. You have in your head the key points you think are important to uh, the session, to a campaign, etc., etc., and um, where you think the players will get hung up on and where you think you need to focus the flow. And that doesn't happen at all. And instead of... You know, trying to find the best path through the woods or whatever, they end up having this lengthy discussion about an approach to something completely inane. That there's a one sentence description of, in the, um, in the, the reference for the, the the scenario, and people are endlessly asking you questions you have no answer to, and often then players take those answers, those those vague answers, as, as some kind of subtle thing that needs repairing and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I found this quite uh, identifiable actually. <laughs> and uh, how do you handle this? There's this Players will confound you, but there is this mortal sin of DMing, as he refers to it, as railroading. Not trying to force players down a certain path, but gently coerce them down the path, shall we say. And there are ways of doing it. And uh, it always fascinates me, actually, how sometimes I can have a scenario prepared or the part of a scenario prepared and we get through next to another of it. And then other times, we race through things to the point where I wasn't ready at all for it. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. It, um, it resonated with me. And the author summarizes with a few quick tips for new GMs. Start by playing with some experienced DMs first, and you can also watch those. Be prepared, but don't panic. Most people don't actually care. They enjoy themselves. Find ways to integrate players' backstory and character. And think modular rather than linear. That is all good advice, I think. Enjoy. In a similar vein, and this is something that's been happening um, over the past few weeks. Uh, Wizards of the Coast, OGL, the Open Gaming License, is something that has existed for some time. It's a long-standing agreement that allowed third-party publishers and fans to create DD content using their game rules. It existed, I think, since version 3 or 3.5, which led to companies like uh, Pecio and Pathfinder uh, having entire companies of their own right, and also lots of indie developers and small time developers. And yeah. And they've finally released a new version of this that has set the community, the industry ablaze, single handedly potentially creating, well, destroying, shall we say, is probably a better way of putting it entire business models. And um, what this is going to mean is uh, is, is who knows? I, I kind of sort of saw this mention. I didn't really pay much attention. And then I have just been getting so many emails from various game companies whose mailing list I'm on saying basically, you know, everything's on the pause whilst we figure out what we can do about this because we can't sell this now because some of the royalty amounts they're asking for is crazy. The reporting they're asking for is crazy. There's... Uh, um, caveats in there that may let them revoke your license um, take over your IP, all sorts of things like it's a crazy, crazy kind of um, concern for all of these companies it's of course led to a flood of people uh, in looking into other options there are many other game engines of course but it's, uh, it's just one that's very well known um, and yeah, it's really fascinating to see What's going to happen, to be perfectly honest with you? It's still in progress. This article I'm looking at is from a few days ago. I have some friends here who are in the industry. And it's, it's really set the cat amongst the pigeons, as it were. Or the tabaxi amongst the uh, arakora. I probably can't say that anymore. But you know what I mean. And we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a weird, worrying time. Edit a related uh, article Um, this is from about a month ago now, James Whitbrook on Gizmodo, Henry Cavill uh, might be getting into a Warhammer 40k series on Amazon. A slightly different fantastical world, but one I've always liked, even though it's so grim and miserable, Um, and he's talking about it. It's very hard to know what it will end up looking like. It's such a miserable universe. There's not really many characters in it. Uh, There's a lot of aggression. There's a lot of kind of machismo. Um, so what a modern TV studio will make of it? I'm really not sure, in all honesty. <laughs> I mean, it's a world built for war gaming. So, yeah, trying to have individual personalities in it and storylines like, I mean, looking at Witcher or something, which he's in as well, which I actually quite enjoy. How is it going to work? Very hard to know. I don't know. Uh, I hope it kind of works out and it works out for him because I like him as an actor. Um, but what is actually going to equal, we'll end up seeing, I suppose. OK, that was my links for this, uh, this, this this restarting episode. Happy 2023. I suppose I should have started with that, to be honest with you. It's, it's, we're fairly into it now, so I got a bit carried away with myself. I have still been on my um, period of uh, working on my own projects for a few months, so I've actually been doing quite a lot. I've released a new one-page role-play game of uh, Karaoke Vampire, which you can find on my Itch profile. I don't know why. Not on my website yet. I need to wrap all that up. I've been working on migrating my website to Astro. Coming up against a lot of interesting uh, aspects there, but getting there slowly. I will definitely be putting that into a video and a blog post at some point when I'm done. I've been working on adding Uh, spell checking support to the fail vs code extension I've been working on my Dart and other languages uh, to do aggregator I've been making music, learning Ableton learning synths Um, I've been working on my second novel actually I now now have my first novel uh, in beta readers hands and I will be sending out um, an email to anyone who subscribes to my newsletter soon if you want to sign up for that and I've already started working on the second one I've been recording uh, audio versions some short stories, uh, probably some other things too, but uh, <laughs> we do quite a bit. And some of it's out and some of it's nearly out. So keep an eye for all of that. On my new website, because my current website is very behind, because I've just been focusing all on getting the new one out, christinchilla.com. Uh, I'm now on uh, Mastodon as well. You can find me, I think, just uh, chrischinchilla at uh, Mastodon on social. That's not even on the... The website <laughs> and much more. Um, twenty twenty three, I think, is going to be a good year. I've been quite positive about it. I've got lots of irons in the fire, lots of projects slowly bearing fruit, and I'm quite excited by it. I hope you will come along with me for the for the journey because I am I'm looking forward to this year. I think, and I, I hope you all do too. So I will, um, yeah, talk to you again in a, in a week or so and. As always, happy new year, enjoy 2023, and thanks for joining me. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at chrischinchilla.com, where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter, and find all of my writing, games, work, and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me, and if you want to get even closer to what I do, join my Discord server for behind-the-scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work.